What happens to the students that win? What about the students that lose? This podcast is all about winning when you're losing, career development events and their impact on students. Join in. Welcome to Alpellets, Tips for Ag Teachers podcast. We share research-based tips and tackle the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. The Al Pellets crew is Kate Shoulders from the University of Arkansas, Marshall Baker from North Carolina State University, Mike Ritalik from Iowa State University, and Brian Myers from the University of Florida. We are your agricultural education resource across the web. Welcome to another Critical Conversation. All of these competitions that are going on, it's currently state convention time. There, are, there is weeping and crying <laughs> and celebrating and plaques being given all across the nation. So today we want to talk about this idea of, I think back to when I was a student. There were certain times where I won in, F, in, in ag education and in FFA and just was filled by that. But I wonder, like, what happens to the people that got sixth? Mm. Or what happens to the person that got last? Like, someone at the livestock judging contest got last place in reasons. And someone got last, the last place Mm -hmm. team. Like, that exists. Mm -hmm. So, the whole idea, the whole reason we have competition is to try to build motivation. We talk about it as, this is the motivational structure of our model. But what about the kids that lose? And then also, like, I wonder, you know, do these kids perceive that they were coached well or, I don't know, maybe we're damaging children, people. (laughs) We look at these competitions, though. There's winners and losers. Should we give everyone a ribbon? Would that help us get more people interested in ag industries and make them feel good about themselves? Or should we be okay with there being the winners and the losers and the consequences that might come of that? Um... So with all these sixth-place teams, what did yeah. we do to them? We were talking earlier. I, I, we did some research with a graduate student at Oklahoma State University a year ago. And we were really concerned that students that didn't win would not feel good about their ability in a certain area. So let's say they were really interested in agri-science and then they go compete and they, they do not do well. And then they might make decisions about, well, I'm not good at this. Right. So it might have a counter um, effect that we weren't looking for. So if they were in a, the AgCom CDE and they all thought they always wanted to be an ag communicator and came back 14th. They're like, well, this is over. I can't be an ag communicator. Yeah. I'm going to go do something else now. Yeah, or like the drop score. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you walk around a judging competition and there's the kids that the ag teacher has the like, toilet bowl around their head because they <laughs> forgot to mark their name on a card. <laughs> so what about that's, that's a positive thing to do. So what do we do here? We're not PCSD? supporting that, yeah. You know, but you just walk around these um, competitions. You walk around state judging. You walk around. You see heartbreak. You see exuberant celebration. Like, for some kids that just came off state convention, it was a life-changing winning experience. Right. And for some kids, it was a crushing experience. And for some kids, honestly, they just wanted to go to convention. Right. And if they got 12th... It's all based on their expectations. Yeah. We're here to win it. Right. Or, hey, we're just going to go participate and see if we can learn something so the next year's team does a little bit better. Yeah. Well, and I guess, you know, and again, confession's good for the soul. I mean, I'm, I'm 
I love the FFA. I love all we do. I think CDs are great. Again, again, when we're recording this, we just came from the Florida State Convention and helped with all that. I am not convinced that students, or we do a good job of making the connection between the careers and the competition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and again, I, I look at this, and, and maybe it, you know, you get a different perspective when you have your own children. And I have my two boys. One just finished it. Another one's in FFA right now. And I'm thinking of the CDEs or the competitive events that they were engaged in have absolutely nothing to relate to what their career goals are, career, career expectations are. Well, and, and even going a step further, how does, the, how does those competitions tie back directly to what's happened in the classroom? Yeah. We say that that's what we're trying to do, but then the way we organize the event, uh, we only have teams of four, we're going to drop scores... There's going to be winners and losers. What are there other ways that we could do mm-hmm. events and activities around uh, stu- student learning mm-hmm. outcomes, um, standards, all those kind of things that certainly could have an event. So, I mean, we we're pretty traditionalists in those ways, and I know there's a lot of people that just love those contests, and mm-hmm. I with air quotes, but. Right. Uh, um, you know, when, when do we start thinking about this a little differently? Well, and the other thing, I just, again, this is a recent experience. I know one of the, one of the teams of Florida, um, the team did not win the state event, and the students were, you know, crying and upset. And I overheard them as they were walking off the stage after it was announced. They weren't worried about the content or their own motivation. They were upset, and they were concerned that they had let their teacher, ag teacher yeah. down. Yeah to do that and so the role that the ag teacher plays in these competitions is may not be as apparent as we think they are Mm -hmm. you know i think a lot of times it gets to be a lot more like college football Mm -hmm. you know and texaco ffa was always in the running for sweepstakes and you knew that you were a part of you were a wolverine and you were a texaco ffa member and we were a successful chapter and like parliamentary procedure that was our thing and when you got second, you know that you had not met the standard that is the standard of our program. Yeah. Right. And it's not like I joined parliamentary procedure because I wanted to be a parliamentarian or because I wanted to be a good school board member. I wasn't thinking about that. Mm-hmm. There was a game that was, the, that was created that we had a history of winning. And I wanted to be a part. I was a Texaco fan to death. And I wanted to be a part of winning that game. I wanted to be a part of a team that was on a banner that hung in the ag room forever because that's our legacy. I feel like that's kind of what drove me to being in parliamentary procedure is that was the culture and kind of the identity of our chapter. Well, we've talked about this before and going off track a little bit, but then we go back, do the different CDEs or LDEs actually relate to real life skills anymore? Have we gotten mm-hmm. back that they're always just kind of this fake environment on which we're trying to, to do this competition yeah. between it? Again, I, when I was an FFA member 474,000 years ago, I loved being on the parliamentary procedure team. I enjoyed coaching it when I was uh, an FFA advisor. But I go back and look then and now, it, it's a great event to do their thing, but that is not reality anymore. And so much of the other, like even livestock judging, we don't go out there and judge four animals anymore. So what are we going to make sure that we help our students transition from the competitive side of it to that that career goal? And what's going to get them excited and helping get the right students? But I think we've got some research here that helps us understand what the motivation is, but also 
what motivates the students to do this kind of mm-hmm. stuff? Why do? Because I mean, we probably all had it. I, I knew if I was a if we had a when I was at Unity FFA, if I was a team member short for a team for something, I had two students that I knew I could call on at any time, <laughs> and they would sign up and do any kind anything that yeah. we needed them to do, and they they were like, "Give me an hour, I'll prepare something." I'm not going to win it, but I'm not going to be last. But if I can go put on this blue jacket and go do something and travel across the county or do whatever else, I'm in. Well, it's interesting. I was at a career and technical education meeting in Oklahoma, and one of the career tech kind of directors said, you know, every single one of our career development events should be a certification process. So she was saying like the floriculture contest there should be judges and skills and competencies, and we should have industry florists there to assess the floral arrangements that are, we should be assessing the skills that are required to be a successful florist. And she, she advocated for, you can have a winner, you can have a last place winner. <laughs> last place winner? <laughs> That's how we do this, right? Everyone's a winner. You're just the first place winner or the last place winner. Um, but she was basically saying that like you can have the first the first five ribbons you can give out ribbons for the first five but what if the more the the thing that was even you know better was what if that became the opportunity for students to demonstrate their level of competence in a career so she said what if everyone that scored over 75 percent um in the skills got a certification like at the end you were certified and that led us to, in Missouri, in the agribusiness competition, everybody that performs at 75% um, in all of the events, they get university credit at the University of Missouri. Mm. So you are demonstrating your competence in an area, and that competence becomes you know, something that you can hold. So everybody might be certified. And the thing that makes me come to my mind is I was the superintendent of the environmental science CDE and we had a winner we had a state champion but when you looked at the competence level how many points out of how many points did they get it was it didn't appear to be a championship type effort but you know we have a champion but they wouldn't have certified at 75% competent well I think that's that's interesting I will I've had experience with a state that shall not remain nameless to protect the guilty. When we looked at this interview certification thing about trying to provide some level of certification through our CDEs to do this, and they were ran into some struggles in that the CDEs were not did not have the aspects that any industry would say that if you're able to do any of the things that you're doing that you would be competent to make the things happen, or it would it would require things to be up at a higher at a high enough level that nobody could set up and the the way that the thing is constructed is set up for a competitive nature not to be competent not to be competency based yeah. and that would require a complete restructuring which may be the right thing to do but traditionally it's been a competition not a competency based kind of a deal and so that requires a major shift mm. in our thinking and we're trying to set to set these things up and this shift is going to be back for the, the ag teachers that, are, that were doing it, state staff that are managing it, but also for the students about why do the students do these CDEs or competitive events in the first place mm. to figure out, you know, are they, are they really excited about whatever that aspect is? And again, I know that 
my two boys more than the, the, my kids, and they were doing things because they thought they were they were interesting. They thought they were fun. One of Tim's favorite CDEs was the vegetable judging CDE we have in Florida. Oh, I loved that one. You know, and he has no he no desire to go into vegetable production or anything else other than like being able to name some weird vegetable we see in the grocery store sometime oh, or to do that. But he loves that one. Great. You know. Yeah. Um, but had zero connection to his to his career goals. Yeah. Okay, so with that, like, this study that was done in a state to remain nameless, um, <laughs> here's the, some conclusions, right? Mm-hmm. We can wrestle with these. Conclusion one, most career development event participants are interested in a career related to agriculture in general, but they were not interested in a career related to the contest they chose to participate in. So I, I guess, help me if I'm interpreting this correctly. So they're, they're probably, they're there because, number one, they had to be an FFA member. To be an FFA member, you've got to be in a school-based ag ed program. So it means they're, they're interested in something in agriculture, so they're in the course. But they're like... You're in the entomology contest. Yeah. Are you going to pursue a career in entomology? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Should we expect that, though? I mean, it kind of goes down to almost on the... Uh, high school athlete side. Do we really want them to specialize to the point where they're only going to do things that are directly related to their career or what their interests are? It's or interesting. Do you, or do you want them to be a little bit more well-rounded and explore other areas so they can be more effective even in that career when they get there? Well, and in the athletic analogy, we're just trying to develop kids that are healthy and active and build some athletic ability, which is yeah. just a general skill kind of for life, right? Building yeah. healthy habits working out, learning to do that. So I wonder if all these CDEs are not just learning to think like a scientist, kind of building a breadth of information. If you did entomology, you have a little better... I can walk around and be like, oh, a hymenoptera, a coleoptera, a orthoptera, a hemiptera. Oh, that's so neat. I was never going to be an entomologist. But I have trained to be a good agriculturist mm-hmm. by playing in this little arena. So maybe, I mean, it, it's worked. Yeah. Like the things I know... Because I was in that contest, mm-hmm. you know, like seed analysis. Like I can find London Red Rocket seed in any wheat <laughs> sample. Like I know exactly where it is. Mm-hmm. I can tell you the difference between um, all the different rye and grasses. I can pick up grass off the ground and name it. Yeah. My wife's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I never she had an... all the time. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's nothing to that's, do a whole different, that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> that's the podcast we record for therapy. But <laughs> But you know, it is true. Like the other day we drove up to Wendy's and I was like, oh, Podocarpus. And my wife's like, why do you know that? <laughs> and I was like, because we judged. Like I had to know that class. It was ID. Right. And it is really fun knowledge. Like if you're in agriculture, it did build. Most of my knowledge came through a contest. So, you know, we wouldn't say we're not going to teach students about entomology if they're not interested in that career. We right. still teach them. Yeah. So like in Burlington, Oklahoma, the teacher there um, I mean, he will just tell you, I teach through contest. It's an incredibly effective way to have students want to learn the contest themselves, want to learn the content. So, I mean, maybe that's flipping that on its head. I mean, it's really a teaching yeah. method. Yeah. Well, and you're, you're, you bring this up, but I'm just kind of came to my head. There's a lot of, I've been reading a few things now talking about how we're asking people to specialize and to become, have expertise in areas all the way, whether it be in school, through industry certifications, or in the college degree settings, or even in graduate degrees. 
and there's an argument out there that we're causing people to specialize even their knowledge base so early that they're losing the ability to see the bigger picture. And you go back and again, back in the 1600s, 1700s, and even before that, the famous people we know about, they were involved in physics and chemistry and math and literature and art, and they brought all these things together. So maybe there's some, some value in providing this wealth of experiences that may not be in the related area because they can impress their wife by their ability yeah. to, to identify various things. Idea Planet Wendy's, baby. <laughs> Did you get an extra side of fries with that? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. <laughs> so that happens when the kids are around. Yeah. That's right. Um, so to that end, two conclusions. I can't, I can't keep control of this. I can't. It's just, I'm just kidding. Um... So to that end, here's one thing that was kind of interesting. We were we were curious, like, if you lose, does it actually push you away from the topic? Yeah. So we had these two conclusions. Here they are. Kiddos that participated in these contests, their self-efficacy, so their belief in how good they are at this, was not impacted at all by their individual or team ranking. So like, I am so good at um, livestock judging. Oh, cool. So did you rank high? No, we got 30th. Mm-hmm. So there was not this connection. Like, we thought there would be a connection. If you scored well, you really thought you were good at it. And we all know in school, right? Like, you want kids to believe they can get better at math by working at math. But in this situation, we found predominantly the, the kiddos felt pretty efficacious. Like, I'm pretty good at this. But they got 11th. Right. We expected the kiddos that did not place well to kind of be downtrodden or, you know, I'm just not very good at this. They weren't. All their efficacy kind of stayed at the same level, irregardless of where they placed. It was interesting. It reminded me of a study that Christopher Stripling did. I think it was a dissertation or some earlier one that was about math skills. This was college students. He asked college students, are you very good at math, checking their self-efficacy on math? Everybody said, oh, yeah, I'm great on math. Then they took a math quiz. They all did miserably, and the students saw their, they got their scores back, saw that they really bombed this test like 2 out of 20 kind of a deal, that asked them again their self-efficacy on their ability to do math. Their, their, their self-efficacy actually went up, I think. After they, they had the evidence to show that they didn't know yeah. anything, their, their thought process went up. So kind of like, exactly. who, cares, who cares what the rankings were? I'm still pretty good at this I mean, it's deal. almost just so weird. Imagine it. Like the convention's over, and you're like, hey, are you good at livestock judging? Yeah, I am. What place did you get? Last. <laughs> wait, wait, time out. I, you know. I know more than the person that per- didn't participate. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with that, though, I mean, I think in this particular group, these were all at the state finals, right? So those are a preliminary, so they had to, there are some people that competed in this event that didn't make it to this level, right? So maybe that's part of it. I mean, not all of them. Yeah. Some of these events in this state, you just, you don't have to qualify. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And individual and team performance did also not influence their motivation. So their motivation, which was defined as, are you a, uh, d- does this topic keep your attention? Is it relevant to you? Are you confident in it? Were you satisfied with the event? Yeah. Well, you got first. Yeah, it was awesome. You got eighth. Cool, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. I was attentive. It was relevant to me. I was confident and I had satisfaction in that event. And one thing for me is I think we have a lot of a lot of what we have going for us is getting on a bus, going to a new town, 
staying in a hotel, being with your friends, making memories. Like, I think there's a lot to the motivation of just like, I was very satisfied with state judging. You know what I mean? Rather than I was very satisfied with my performance in the livestock CDE. Rather, it's like, I was very satisfied with getting to go and do all these things. Maybe, I mean, I don't know, but I think we have a lot of students that love going to the event and competing. And then, you know, typically you you can usually see like maybe 10 teams that are really going to win it. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, you know, you talk with other ag teachers or or even other people that were in FFA that were part of a, a CDE team. Even if they were like one state or one national or whatever else, and you ask them, they start talking about that experience. They really don't spend a whole lot of time talking about when they found out they won or competing at the event. They're talking about, man, we got together once a week and we were all studying. And we remember that time when we were on the trip and so and so did this thing and they spilled their milkshake all over. You know, those are the, the, the extra, as you say, that extra stuff that happens because under the guise of preparing for that contest that really may be that memorable experience about why they want to do it. And and, and part of that, and I'll just add on, I think that's part of what you're saying, Marshall, is that we really don't know what these students' expectations were. Mm -hmm. We're assuming all of them want to be state winners, and we don't really know. So how how are they defining good, or how are they defining success? Because... I'll go to working with my advisees at the university level, and I can have a student come in and say, How, how's classes going? Oh, they're great. I'm doing much better than last semester. Okay, well, define that for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm getting C's and a C minus and a B plus, so I'm doing great compared to last semester. Yeah. So you just don't know how they're, how they're defining that. It's just interesting, though, when you think about... We have, okay, and, you know... 1920 whatever we have these ag classes where farm boys are all across the country learning to farm that's what they do like my dad his SAE project was his farm so you have all these farm boys that are farming and they're like you know what would be fun we should let's see who can fix that engine the best you know and I mean it was a natural it started as a natural let's see who can identify the weeds in your field the best you know and it started at this authentic place but real quickly it became this monster and a lot of people would say that our the competitive arm of ag education has eaten the educational arm of ag education so you know you had talked about earlier you see you know this school where they win three or four things and you start realizing they had three or four really smart, bright kids that could just memorize all the information, play the game, and win the game. Yeah. And so, you know, it makes you wonder, it's such a powerful, it is so powerful as a motivational factor that it has the ability to pull us off purpose sometimes. And so I wonder, like, how do we still capture the power of the motivation, but not let it drag not only the kids, but for me as a teacher, I got real caught up in the game. Like yeah. there were, I wanted to win the parliamentary procedure game really bad. But when my kids didn't meet me with that same excitement, they would have rather done forestry or floriculture. Right. But floriculture wasn't my thing. But that's what my kids and my area needed. So, you know, I think it can pull us off um, point sometimes. What's well, interesting, you go back, the teacher you mentioned there earlier, 
uses to teach through competitions. And so, again, the teaching is the major factor and the competition is the tool mm-hmm. to get there. And I think it, it, is a, it is a very easy to cross that line from using competition to, for the goal of teaching to where competition and winning becomes the ultimate purpose, whether or not they win or not. And, you know, when I go back, there are people with one particular contest, like you can contest, we're not supposed to do that anymore, I get in trouble to say that, career development event, that this teacher had figured out how to teach his students how to complete this particular card without even walking out to the pit. And, And they could win or be in the top five of the soils contest without seeing anything because he had figured out the, how to figure out how to fill out this particular card. I think he had to have one one when you give one piece of information slope I think it was figure out slope and you're good to and go. you can figure out all the rest of it and all the classes fall and, off and then that's what he did and he you know and they went and he he had a very successful career having all these soul judging teams but I'm like mm. is that teaching but I don't goes, know you know yeah but it goes I mean one of the conversations that we're having here is about coaching and that ag teacher is a coach. Yeah. And we talked uh, briefly offline about some of the elements of a, a good solid coach and one of those is strategy. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're looking up to an FFA advisor or someone that's doing those coaching and they understand that strategy, I think as a as a team member with that coach, you're going to appreciate that. And so that, but then to me it goes back, okay, strategy, then it's the ethical question. As an act teacher, if you figured out how how to manipulate the card to win, is it ethical just to teach your students how to mark that card without actually understanding what they're doing to win? On the flip side of that, is it ethical if you know how to do that and you don't tell your students how to do that because then you're not giving them all the opportunity mm-hmm. to do that? So I mean, yeah. I, could, I could argue on both yeah. sides of the ethics question. On that one, one I think I know which way I would lean, but you yeah. know, there's things you're, you know you can see both sides of but, it. But certainly, I mean, there's some natural processes with soil judging that yeah. you could teach alongside and explain why you're and, yeah. and coach them through that card. Mm-hmm. Here's why you have to mark the card a certain way because you made this decision because yeah. of, of natural occurrences in soils and in and the science yeah. behind it. But if you don't do that and you say, hey. I got an hour or a couple hours. I got to get this student to memorize the card. And yeah. You do this one thing and then just go to fill it out um, so that we can uh, win the contest. And then we got issues, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, so this research was done by Mason Jones. And um, so Mason went and found how are we in research? How are we assessing athletic coaches? And so athletic coaches were assessed on these scales. Um, Motivation competency, so how well can you motivate your players? Game strategy competency, how well can you manage the game to win it? Technique competency, and character building competency. So this is what made a great coach in athletics. In fact, the specific study he went to was a volleyball team. They did the study in the context of volleyball. And so then he looked at did these students perceive their coaches to be competent in those, their ag teacher coaches, to be competent in those areas? And the students found their coaches to be competent in all of those areas. And good news, ag teachers. <laughs> Even the students that lost still found their coaches to be competent. I found that kind of interesting, you know? Yeah. So they obviously took the onus on themselves. 
Like I have a competent coach. My ag teacher knows what they're doing. We just didn't perform. So I found that kind of, you know, like if I got 13th in a contest, I'd be like, man, they didn't prepare us for this or they did prepare us for this. But they found these coaches to be competent and it all seemed to, I thought that was interesting, their, yeah, their yeah. ability. The ag teachers are fulfilling the roles that an athletic coach would fulfill in these career development events that we've built. I wonder how much of that transfers too, though. I mean, if I like this, if I think my ag teacher is competent as an ag teacher, period, period, yeah, overall, yeah. and that's why I'm in that class. And I have that relationship. Am I going to think that they're not yeah. you know, in this one particular area? The other thing is, again, this was at the state competition. I wonder if they, if I didn't think my coach was competent, would I even have, would I have even invested the time to to prepare to go to that that competition mm-hmm. to do that? But still, it goes back to. I mean, there's a little glimmer of hope that students see their their own ownership and responsibility a little bit in their own performance to yeah. do something like that as well, though. It's not just, yeah. well, my dang ag teacher would have done that. Mm-hmm. Not to even mention the fact that if you perform at the ultimate best level and you're the best of the best, you win the state championship, you go to nationals, and then you can never engage in that content again. Right. So then it's like, what's the impact of that? You know, you have a kid that may become an amazing ag marketing person, but after their freshman year, they compete really well, and they never get to do that again. So, If if they become that, I'm going to use the term again, specialized, aren't there other venues and other Mm. opportunities? Yeah. Uh, I I could see where, you know, using the athletic analogy again, they're not only playing high school sports, but they're playing club sports in... Few travel teams and all those kind of things. So I think there's going to be if they really find out that they're passionate, lots of venues. They're probably going to look for other venues than just yeah. just ag ed and FFA. You know, sometimes I think kind of to close, like mm-hmm. you can overwork these things. But I look back at that experience, and one thing ag education did for me is it just gave enough opportunities for someone to for you to be recognized right. that you know I won an outstanding young camper award, Ooh. and you know. You still have that hanging in your I office? do. It's my favorite plaque. <laughs> so I was talking to Dr. Avery Culbertson at Fresno State, and I said, you know, my favorite plaque is still that year that I got Outstanding Young Camper, and we laughed about it because that was when I was 15. When I was 18, I was the state president, and we went to camp. And they said, okay, tonight, everyone, we need to get together. We have these awards, Outstanding Young Camper Award, Outstanding Senior Camper Award. And Mr. Ware said, okay, state officers, we need to figure out who's going to win these awards. Now remember, this isn't who is the best this is who needs the award the most. <laughs> <laughs> so ever since wah, then, wah, like, wah. I can, but you know, I think there's something to be said about let's create a million opportunities for kids to just win and go home and tell grandma, like I was second or I won or I was on a team that was successful. Mm-hmm. I think a huge part of our program is just creating as many opportunities as we can for kids to be told and to, to be told they're great and to, and to succeed. And to be part of something bigger than themselves. Yeah. Even to lose yeah. and then to come back and succeed and yeah. to overcome adversity. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that's a pretty awesome lab in and of itself. So now that we've totally ruined CDEs, <laughs> um, teachers, you guys do awesome stuff with those contests, but it's, we want to hear from you. It's interesting to think about. Uh, it's a definitely a unique monster that can yeah. eat us and, and all that. So great conversation. Jump on Owl Pellets on Facebook. Leave us some comments. We'd love to hear what you think about it. 
and go out and win. But even if you don't, be, don't worry. They still think you're competent, and they still think they're awesome. That's right. Yes. All right. We're checking out from Twin Falls, Idaho, the Owl Pellet Crew. Catch you guys soon. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Please visit our webpage for more information on this topic and to learn more about all of our guests. Be sure to follow Owl Pellets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It would also be great for you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, we ask that you please take a moment and comment on our podcast so others can find it as well. So for Kate, Marshall, and Mike, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellet saying thank you, and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.